When I was a young boy, sometime in the 1980s, uh, our church uh, once a year had a Sunday school picnic, and we always had this park that we went to. And it would, I just remember because it was the, the, the day of the Sunday school picnic, and my mom and I decided to leave early. So we got in the car and we went home and my dad was there finishing up and helping clean up and helping things uh, get wrapped up for the picnic and we went home. Well, it was kind of business as usual. And uh, I think my mom was in the kitchen, I was in the living room and all of a sudden the house started shaking. And I looked up and my mom had a couple hanging plants and they were bouncing up and down. And all of a sudden I realized we're having an earthquake. So my mom just come barreling out of the kitchen and she grabbed me and scooped me up and ran outside and we were going to get into the car because she figured that's probably the safest place is in the car. There's shocks. It's going to be able to take the, the rumbling. You know, the, a, a car is not going to collapse on you like a house would. So, you know, she wanted to get us in the car. So as soon as we got to the car and she opened up the door, the earthquake stopped. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in an earthquake. I heard that there was an earthquake in the 80s here, and it may have been the same one or around the same time. I don't know, but there's nothing more disconcerting as being in an earthquake because literally there's no, there's no place to get away from it. You can't climb a tree and get away from it. You can't go to another building. and I mean, you're there. You just got to endure the earthquake until it stops and just pray that everything's going to be all right. You know, so being shaken can be very disconcerting, especially when you have utterly no control over it. You don't know what you, you have no say when it's going to start or when it's going to stop. You just got to endure it until it's over with. So that's one type of shaking it is an earthquake. And I remember that from my youth. But uh, another instance people get shaken is maybe they're asleep. And let's say that there's a fire in the house and the fire alarm's not working and the dog's barking and waking everybody up. And so a parent goes into the child's bedroom and the child's asleep and they shake them in order to wake them up, right? They're like, oh, 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 what's going on? You know, and they grab them and go outside and the child saved because they were shaken and they were shaken awake because, okay, you've got to get up. This is an emergency, but also you didn't die of smoke inhalation, did you? You know, uh, get up. Another instance somebody may be shaken is if they're in shock, you know, or if they're unconscious. You know, maybe they, a traumatic event's happened, something you can't believe, and they're just like a deer in the headlights, or maybe their, their eyes are closed and they're collapsed on the floor and they're unconscious. And sometimes people will shake people in those conditions to snap them out of it or wake them up. So the Bible talks about a shaking, and that's what we're going to get into tonight. So have you ever seen anyone pan for gold? So that's a type of a shaking. You know, I mean, if you haven't seen it in real life, you've seen it in the movies where these old prospectors will have a pan and it's got like a little screen and they scoop up, you know, some some dirt that they suspect has gold in it. And, you know, they run it through the water and they shake it back and forth and shake, 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 shake. And all of the loose dirt falls through the screen. And what's left behind is rocks and pebbles and hopefully gold. And gold is what remains after the shaking. And it's something that's worthy that's left after the shaking. Or have you ever seen anybody winnow wheat? So there's a big pile of wheat and you get a pitchfork and you just toss it up in the air. And when you toss it up in the air, the wind blows the chaff and blows the dirt and dust away and what falls back to the ground is wheat because it's, it's heavy, it's, it's got weight to it. So um, 
in Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist kind of mentions this winnowing. This is just one verse that we're going to tackle. So in Matthew chapter 3, verse 12, this is John the Baptist talking about the Messiah. He says, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor, that is the threshing floor, and gather his wheat into the granary, but will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So the chaff is something that gets blown away. The chaff is taken away. It's burned up. So what's left behind? The wheat. And the situation with the gold, and you're, you're, you're panning for gold, and the dirt's taken away, what's left behind? The gold. It's what's important. It's what has meaning. It's what has purpose that endures the shaking, and that remains, and that gets left behind. So the writer of Hebrews, which I believe is the Apostle Paul, others would argue, but that's neither here nor there, but in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, great details given about this shaking, this future shaking that's coming. So in Hebrews chapter 12, starting with verse 26, the writer of Hebrews says, Whose voice then shook the earth. So this is talking about God. Whose voice then shook the earth. That's another kind of shaking, something that's so loud that it shakes you, that it vibrates. I mean, I was a headbanger back in the day, and I remember being right up at the front of the stage and being right next to the speakers. And when they were playing the guitar and doing their bass riffs and doing the drum beats, and it was coming through the speakers, my body, my chest would vibrate. It would be vi literally vibrating. My body literally would be shaking because of the sound and the decibels of the music. Now, I've heard that people who's been in the presence of a lion or a bear, that when they roar, you could literally feel that roar shaking in your chest. So that's very interesting because it says here, talking about God, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, yet once more, I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Wow. I mean, shaking, we know that the earth shakes because of tectonic activity, earthquake activity, tsunamis, the earth shakes. But God's going to cause the earth to shake with his voice. Not just earth, but heaven as well. And then verse 27 says, and this word yet once more signifying the removing of those things that are shaken. So the things that are going to be removed in the shaking is the worthless things, the cheap things, the bad things, the lightweight things, the insignificant things, the, the evil things. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Those things that cannot be shaken may remain. <laughs> Another type of shaking that I've just been introduced to is power slap. I don't know if you've watched that. So basically, you have two guys. They're standing face-to-face uh, -face at a table. A coin's tossed to see who gets to strike first. And basically, the guy, there's rules involved, but the guy basically slaps the other guy. And whoever gets knocked out or, or has the best performance in the striking, the judges will decide. But a lot of times you get a knockout. And when that person gets slapped, they're shaken. 
Now it's fun watching the slow mo because their face and their the, the, their skin and their nose and everything just goes blah, 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 blah. but it's amazing how many people get knocked out by just getting slapped. So you know, a lot of times you have guys who have a strong neck, who have a strong jaw and a strong chin, and it doesn't matter how hard you slap it; it's like you're slapping a brick wall. They remain. They are still standing after being slapped, after being shaken. They still remain. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken. Those who are of weak constitution, have a weak neck, a weak chin, they are removed. They actually get knocked out. And those things which uh, are made are those things which cannot be shaken may remain. So some guys are built like a refrigerator. They're just, you're not going to move them. Verse 28, wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. So there's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And of course, we know what that kingdom is. It's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God cannot be shaken. It cannot be removed. One of the reasons being is because the kingdom of God is within us. So it says, wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. So think about something that's laid on top of something else, something that's superimposed. So you have the God of this world, which is Satan, the, the lowercase g, the God of this world, as the scripture says. He's in control of the powers that be. He's running the world governments and all this kind of stuff, right? But at the same time, simultaneously, occupying the exact same space, dimension, and time is the kingdom of God. Because as soon as Yeshua came to earth, the kingdom of God was on earth. He gave it to us. He put it within us. It's within ourselves. So these two kingdoms are sharing and occupying the same space, time, continuum, and dimension. So when this shaking takes place, Who's, who's going to be who's going to be left behind and who's going to remain? Who's going to be blown away? Who's going to remain? Then the shaking. The kingdom of God can't be shaken. It just said that in Hebrews. It's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So the kingdom of God is going to remain. It's going to be like the gold that's left behind after the shaking in the pan. It's going to be like the wheat left behind during the winnowing process. It's like the guy built like a refrigerator that's going to be standing after the slap. That's what's going to remain. So we know that Satan's kingdom, it will be shaken and it will, it will be destroyed because of the shaking. Now, earthquakes, there are more places in the world that, that are prone to earthquakes than others. And in these known places, they build their buildings differently. They build their buildings on a solid foundation, but they don't build them rigid. Like if it's a skyscraper, they don't build it rigid to where it's not movable. They build it in such a way to where it has a little bit of give. So like if the earth starts shaking, the building will kind of wobble back and forth, but because it's flexible and it goes with the motion of the shaking, it will stand and it will remain. Now, a lot of times in a drunk driving accident, it's usually the person that's inebriated that doesn't get hurt. Why is that? Yeah, they're limber. They're not bracing for impact. They're going with the flow. They're going with the motion of the shaking, if you will, of the car accident. Now, if you brace up, a lot of times that's what causes a lot of injury. 
So it, it's kind of like they're kind of going with the flow. Now, if you want to make a spiritual application, we who be drunk in the spirit will go with the flow of the shaking and we're going to survive the shaking because we're drunk in the spirit. <laughs> uh, so, all right. <laughs> God is now shaking the world so that the wicked, unrighteous, and unbelievers will fall away and the remnant, the righteous believers, will remain. This world is being shaken. What's it being shaken by? It's been shaken and will keep continue to be shaken by pestilence and diseases, by COVID, by wars and rumors of wars, by the digital currency, by the World Economic Forum, by, you know, um, the, the Center for Disease Control and the World Health Organization and the UN and this government and that government and this world power and that world power and the Illuminati and we can go on and on. We're going to be shaken by these things. By the things listed in Matthew 24, the world is going to be shaken and is now being shaken. But what's going to remain is those who are build their life on the solid rock of Christ Jesus, those who have the kingdom of God within them. You can shake us all you want, but we're going to be still standing. We're going to remain. So this is kind of like referring to the tribulation, which some believe that we're going to go through. Now, we're going to be, be spared God's wrath because the tribulation is going to be poured out on the bad guys. They're going to go through God's wrath. We who are his children, if we are indeed here during the tribulation, we will not experience God's wrath. But we're not promised that we won't be spared Satan's wrath because in Revelation 13, 7, God permitted the evil one to make war on the saints. Right. But even if we're shaken by tribulation, by persecution, even if we're shaken by these things, we're going to still be standing. Our brothers and sisters in, in, in parts of the world where there's where martyrdoms are everyday occurrences and commonplace in China and North Korea and Saudi Arabia and, and, and you know other parts of the world, yeah, the community is being shaken, but because they're built on the solid rock of Christ Jesus and on the foundation of the kingdom of God which is within us, these believers they can be shaken all day long. They're still going to be standing. Some of them are going to be taken away, but that's no big deal. It's just their body that's gone. Their spirit remains and their spirit is now with the Lord. So, but Matthew 24, 13 says, those who endure to the end will be saved. All you got to do is endure it. Enjoy the ride, as crazy as it might be. So if you can stand the shaking, you'll be saved. So let me read a parable in Matthew chapter 7 kind of further bring this example or this teaching home a little bit more. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. <clears throat> Wherefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, this is Yeshua speaking, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man who built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house. So you had the rain the floods and the wind that were shaking the house, beating the house, shaking it. And it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Because this house had a solid foundation of the rock, it doesn't matter what you bring against it, it's going to stand. Verse 26, And everyone that hears these sayings of mine and do them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. Now sand is malleable. Sand is shifting. Sand is not solid. I mean, have you ever tried running in sand? You can't really get too far. It's like you're running in place and you're not getting far. 
uh, because your feet are shifting underneath the shifting sand. And it says, and the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Why? Because it was built on sand. Now, this world is built on the sand of Satan. Sand is the same thing as rock. It's just bits and pieces of rock, smaller versions of rock. You know, so it, it's like Satan's sand is just bits and pieces of the truth, but not the whole truth, right? I mean, that's how Satan baits you. If he come out and just flat out lied to you, and it could be utterly proven wrong, and it's kind of like a done no-brainer, nobody would believe Satan. He baits with truth. But we know what's behind that bait of truth. It's the hook that gets into your jaw. It's a real worm on the hook that the fish likes, and he doesn't see the hook that's going to get him. So the world is built on the sand of Satan, which when the shaking takes place, it's going to disintegrate. It's going to dissolve. It's going to fall. We, however, as believers in Messiah Yeshua, we're built on the solid, unmovable, unshakable rock of Christ Jesus. You can come against us with everything and anything in the kitchen sink, and we're still going to be standing. So um, our foundation can't be shaken because our foundation is inside us and not out here. Luke 7.21 says, the kingdom of God is within you. And we know that whatever's on the inside will eventually come out and be manifest in this world because the ultimate goal is that the kingdom of, the kingdom of God be manifest in this world. And that's going to come during the millennial reign. So in Hebrews, back to Hebrews here. Shouldn't have lost my place, but it did. That's okay. So in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. I shake also heaven. This reminded me of what was written in Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 12. And there was a war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his uh, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found for any more for them any more in heaven. So there's right now Satan has access to heaven because even though he's a fallen angel, he's still an angel. Because if you remember in the book of Job where it says the sons of God, meaning the angels, were called for inspection or called for God, you know, God to, you know, deal with them. And it says Satan was among them. It says, hey, where you been? What are you doing? Oh, nothing much. Just roaming about the earth, you know, seeking whom I may devour kind of thing. So, you know, there's there's limited access when God permits where Satan somehow, some way, somehow has to stand before the Lord or answer for something. Sometimes maybe he goes into the heavenly courts just to accuse us because he's called the accuser of the brethren and that happens in the heavenly courts. We even see that in the prophets where the high priest Joshua was in filthy rags and he was being accused by, by the evil one. And the Lord said, put, put clean garments upon him. So here there's gonna be one final time where Satan's going to be just banned and barred 100 totally percent completely from having access to heaven. He will no longer be called up to heaven by God. 
And there was a war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought against his angels, and prevailed not, neither was there a place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which Satan means the enemy or the adversary, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ, that is, his Messiah, his anointed one. For the accuser of the brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. So it was almost like Satan was that lawyer who was always, you know, bringing a case against somebody. And he had that limited access in heaven. He could no longer be up there 24-7. He could no longer be there to encircle God's throne and say, holy, holy, holy. He just came up there to, to try to cause some damage, to try to, you know, accuse people. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. So it sounds like the believers are being shaken in verse 11 because Satan has been unleashed on the earth and cast down to the earth. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you having great wrath because he knoweth that his time is but short. Now, if you know your time is short and you have a limited amount of time, if you want to do damage, you're going to do all the damage you can do in the least amount of time. A lot of bad guys, a lot of you know, uh, uh, people who die by suicide will say, well, okay, if I enter this building with a gun and I'm immediately seen, they're going to call the cops and, you know, statistically they can probably respond within five minutes. So if this is going to be my last hurrah, I'm going to see how many people I can take out within five minutes and then they're going to take me out. So you have a situation where there's a person knowing that they're going to die and therefore they have nothing to lose. So they're going to do whatever they can, however they can, to cause as much damage as they can. That's Satan. He knows his time is short. He knows his time is limited. He knows that God is, is going to respond soon. So he's going to try to do as much damage as possible before, you know, he's finally called one last time to the carpet. Now think of the times that we're living in. There's a rise of lawlessness, or I could say legalized lawlessness. People are doing the wrong things because it's legal now. Right, But it doesn't mean it's right just because sin has been legalized or wrong has been legalized. It still doesn't make it right. It's still sin. It's still lawlessness in God's eyes. There's a rise of the Antichrist spirit. I mean, we're seeing it everywhere on television, in music, everywhere. I mean, my goodness, there's music videos where a rapper is getting rear-ended by the devil himself. How is that allowed even on television? You're having award ceremonies where they're all dressed as devils and gyrating around on stage. Oh, well, that's just fancy, artsy-fartsy. No! They're, they're glorifying Satan. There's nothing artsy-fartsy about it. So there's an antichrist spirit where everybody thinks they know better than God, know better than the Bible. There's a rise of occult practices. 
You know, Satanism is, you know, you thought the satanic panic was bad in the 70s and 80s. Well, it's nothing to compare to now. And it's not even hidden like it was. It's just flat out blatant right out in the open. It's on your children's cartoons. How to summon a demon. How to cast a spell. It's on their cartoons. There's television shows now that make Satan the hero. Oh, he was just, he's just misunderstood. And they're trying to make Lucifer the good guy. Oh, God's the bad guy because he's punishing him, but he doesn't deserve to be punished because he's just misunderstood. So there's an antichrist spirit. When an antichrist spirit is present, there's also an anti-Semitic spirit. It means that whoever is antichrist is going to hate whom Christ loves, which is Israel, which is the church, which is his people. Now, with the rise of occult practices and people being more proficient and blatant and out in the open of occult practices, there's more openings of portals, there's more summonings of demons, there's more appearances of ghosts and specters, there's more appearances of you know UFOs in the sky, which we know that's just Satan's delusion and Satan's trick. And not only that, but here, how many years now? Probably going on two years where CERN has been in full operation. That's that uh, um, you know, collider that's underneath Switzerland. Now, they've already, science has already said they're opening portals to other dimensions through CERN. Maybe this is what the bottomless pit is in Revelation. I don't know. It's just a conjecture. It's just a speculation. But they have taken photographs of what's in these other dimensions, and they sure as heck look like demonic entities. So who knows what's coming in and out of those things? So we know that there's been a rise and a surgence in demonic activity and negative spiritual activity. I mean, the earth is being shaken. The heavens are being shaken. Three years of COVID lunacy and the October 7th of the Hamas attack on Israel has and is shaking the church. And if you haven't been shaken by those two things, you, you don't have a pulse. You don't have a pulse. The events of COVID and the events of the Hamas attack on October 7th has left its indelible mark upon the world and things will never, ever, ever, ever be the same after that. You can't go back to pre-COVID ways and doing things. It's forever changed. It's like 9-11. You can never go back to pre-9-11. The Patriot Act is still in effect. It was only supposed to be three months, but we still have to do take off our freaking shoes at the airport and ridiculous stuff. It's never changed. It's never going back. The world is forever changed after 9-11. That was a shaking. COVID was a shaking. And it's not just shaking the world. It's shaking the church to see who's the remnant and who's the Christian name only. Who's the pansy? They're going to fall. They're going to fall away. They're going to be blown away like chaff. They're going to fall away like dirt from a gold pan. So three years of COVID lunacy and the October 7th Hamas attack on Israel has and is shaking the church because you're separating the sheep from the goats. There's a lot of people who say they love God, love Jesus, agree with the Bible, but they hate his people or, they, or, or, or they're willing to give up their own civil liberties and their religious rights. There's a shaking going on. There's a separation of true believers and believers in name only. So we know the world's being shaken, and as it's being shaken, the enemy is turning on itself. It's destroying itself from the inside out. 
even though they're making progress and strides and are winning in a sense, they're also setting themselves up for destruction. Basically, you can say they're, they're braiding the rope that they're going to hang themselves with. Now, Peter has something to say about this shaking in the church. So in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. That's interesting. God's going to judge the church before he judges the world. And if it begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? That's pretty scary. We're all waiting for the world to be judged. Oh, God's in judgment. Well, that's not going to happen until the church is judged. And I think we're in the process of being judged. We're being in the process of being winnowed. We're in the process of being shaken. We're in the process of being panned as if we were gold nuggets. We're in the process of this shaking. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Well, if we're, if we're being judged, what are we being judged for? What are we being judged about? How faithful, faithful we are to the scripture. How faithful we are to God's word. How faithful we are to God's commandments. Why was Israel judged? Because they forsook God's commandments. Why is the church going to be judged? Because we're going to forsake his commandments. For the time is come that, that judgment must begin at the house of God. So we're being shaken through judgment, God's judgment upon us. If you're true, then, then you're not going to have to worry. If you're already on the solid rock of Christ Jesus, let the shaking happen. It's not going to rattle you. You're going to still be standing when the shaking's done. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be to them that obey not the gospel of God? It's going to be bad for the church being judged. Because the false and fake believers and pansies are all going to be winnowed away and swept away, burned up like chaff. And the true remnant will be left behind, will remain, will still be standing. Well, then what does that say about the world when they're judged? Because they don't obey God's word at all. That's a pretty scary thing. So will you stand or will you fall? Now... We mentioned COVID and we mentioned October 7th, the Hamas attack. It's been very difficult for me to hear about what Hamas is doing. I know a lot about the Holocaust and what they did to Jews in the Holocaust. And I will say this about the Nazis. They were more compassionate than Hamas. They were more civilized than Hamas. After the world, at least there was an amount of shame that they shone. There's no holds barred for Hamas. There's no regret, no remorse, no blushing, no shame. Sure. Pure evil, pure animalism, pure barbarity. At least the Nazis were more compassionate and civil. And they were bad, really, really bad. And then this whole COVID where people are willing to give up their rights, their, their civil liberties and their religious rights out of fear and out of something that they cannot definitively scientifically prove and quantify and yet we are believing and falling for an evil godless who's turned on judeo-christian principles government and say oh yeah i trust them the church is being shaken 
And, you know, I'm, I'm willing to forgive people. I'm willing to make amends for people. But I tell you, I won't patronize a restaurant that made me present my COVID papers to eat there. If my money, and, and they want me to come now that it's all over with, well, if my money wasn't good then, it's not good now. Right. And if churches didn't want me sitting in their pews because I was unvaccinated, well, I sure as heck ain't going to be sitting in their church today even they say, oh, it's over, it's okay now, you can come. No, you didn't want me then. I'm not good enough to come now. You've compromised. You weren't like a Pastor Pulowski. You weren't like a Pastor James Coates who stood solid and firm for our civil rights and religious liberties. And it's like with this Hamas, I will say this, and this is a very harsh statement, but if you are a Christian or say you're a Christian and you sympathize or are for Hamas, you are actually serving Satan. You are serving the devil. There is no way any of their actions whatsoever in any way, shape or form are justified by any means. So it boils down to, are you a sheep? <coughs> Or are you a goat? And when I say goat, I don't mean greatest of all times. <laughs> so in Matthew chapter 25, we read about the sheep and the goats here. Matthew 25, starting with verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he shall sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another as a, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, which is, symbolizes favor and acceptance, but the goats on his left, which represents disfavor. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me meat. So the sheep are doing this. The sheep saw the Lord hungry and gave him meat. He says, I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. These are actions. These are things that you do, not that things you say, not things you think about, not things you talk about doing. These are things you do. And you prove your belief in the things you're talking about by doing them. Oh, I believe in feeding the hungry. Okay, then I'm going to prove it by feeding them. I believe in clothing the naked, and I'm going to prove that belief by clothing them. I, you know, So I was hungry, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. And I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then the righteous shall answer him, saying, Lord, when, when saw we ye hungry and fed thee? Or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in? Or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you've did it to the least of these my brethren, the least of these my brethren, who are the Lord's brothers? When his, parent, when his mom and his brothers and sisters came to see him while he was teaching, and somebody says, Master, your mother and, and, and brothers and sisters are out there. And he says, whoa, 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 wait a second. Who are my brothers and sisters? Those who do the will of my father. You are my brothers and sisters and mother. So he says, you've done it unto the least of my brethren, which means somebody who does the will of God. He says, you've done it unto me. Then he shall say unto them that are on the left hand, which are the goats, which they're pretty much the same animal, right? You know, they both have wool. 
They both have a cloven hoof. I mean, they're, I mean, they're, they're almost the same species, but not really, right? There's a difference. They may spend this time in the same flock or the same pasture, but there's a difference between the sheep and the goat. They're two different things. A goat is a sheep in posture, if you will. Then shall say he unto them that are on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not. And in prison, and ye visited me not. It's just like what James says. What good is it when you see somebody hungry and naked and say, Oh, my brother, my sister, be warm and filled, but you do nothing to make them warm and filled. It's just an empty gesture. It means nothing. Then shall they answer and say unto them, Lord, when saw we thee hungry or a thirst or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister unto thee? Then he shall answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment. Everlasting punishment. There is no annihilationism. That you'll go to hell and burn up and then you won't exist. Everlasting punishment. The word punishment is followed by the word everlasting. Which means the punishment doesn't end. But the righteous into eternal life. So are you a sheep? Or are you a goat? Are you a wheat? Or are you a tare? So a tare looks just like wheat. Once they're growing up, you know, when they're planted and they first come up, they look identical. You can't really tell them apart. But once they mature, then you see once they mature, there's a difference between the wheat and the tare. And so in Matthew chapter 13, everybody still hanging with me? Matthew 13, 24, another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while he slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, in other words, it was matured, fully ripened, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in thy field? From whence uh, then hath this tares? And he said unto them, An enemy has done this. So in our churches, in our believing communities, the enemy has sown tares. Oh, at first they look like Christians. They look like fellow believers. But when you mature, you can tell that they're not like you. They're all talk, no action. You know, there's no fruit. They don't produce heads of wheat. They produce... Whatever a head of tear produces, right? It's not fruit. So they're imposters. So he said unto them, an enemy has done this. They, uh, the servant said unto them, wilt, uh, wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, no, nay, lest while we gather up the tares, ye uproot also the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until harvest. And then in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together the first the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them but gather the wheat into my barn so which one was taken and which one was left behind the tares were taken in the fire because they were burnt up the wheat was left behind in the barn so are you a wheat 
or are you a tear? And it's our choice. It's our choice. Now, a verse that was rolling around in my head the other day, I woke up with it, I went to bed with it, the Lord just confronted me with it all day long, and I shared this with my congregation, is Matthew 10, 28, where Yeshua was telling his disciples, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Now, the context of that verse is Jesus was getting ready to send out his disciples, his 12, to go minister. And you guys are still good, right? Let's just read this. So it says, verse 5 of chapter 10, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Now he commanded them. He didn't suggest. It was a command. Not that you could possibly might be able to do such and such. No, he said, do it. Go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans, enter not. But go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and go ye and preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. That's a command. Heal the sick. Not, well, just give it your best try. No, he said, heal the sick. So who's going to deal, do the healing? Are the disciples going to do the healing? No, the disciples can't heal anybody. It's going to be the Spirit of the Lord moving and working through them. In other words, you have to be an open, willing vessel for him to use. You've got to be a conduit for him to use. So he told his disciples, heal the sick. Cleanse the leper. Well, do your best. Just lay your hands and just hope. And if it doesn't happen, oh, well, you've tried. You did your best. No, he said, heal the sick, cleanse the leper. He said, heal the sick. And he said, cleanse the leper, raise the dead. Boy, these are crazy things. Raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. In other words, I've given you the ability and the power through my authority and name for you to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the leper, to cast out devils. It's not you that's doing it. It's the gift I've given you to do it. You're just the vessel. Provide. Okay, then he just gives them instructions basically saying, don't take any money with you. Don't take a, a backpack or, or a satchel with you. Uh, don't take two changes of clothes or two changes of shoes. Don't even take a staff with you. Um, he says, uh, when you enter a city, find out who's worthy of, that's worthy to stay with. Greet their house, and you know if they greet you back with shalom, and your shalom or your peace rest upon it, stay there. You know, these things. And he says, whatever city or whatever house doesn't accept you is going to be worse for Sodom and Gomorrah, or for them than Sodom and Gomorrah. And then he gives them a warning. He says, verse 16, he says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you up into councils. They will. Disciples, just as you will heal the sick, you will be persecuted. Just as you will raise the dead, you will be brought before such and such. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for, the, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you, when, not if, when they deliver you, 
When they deliver you up, take no thought of how you shall speak, for it shall be given you that very same hour which you speak. The power to heal and the raise the dead was a gift given to them and a response to the persecution and the inquiries and the, and the grilling investigation. The response will also be a gift. Oh, for sure. Yes, exactly. For if it is, for it is not ye that speak, but the spirit of your Father which speaks in you. When will we get it that we can't heal anybody? That it's not up to us to heal anybody. When will we get it? It's not up, not up to us to answer anybody. It's going to be the spirit of the Lord that does these things. And, it's, and then it talks about you know how family's going to turn on one another, yada yada, and you'll be hated of all men for my sake. But those who endure to the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in one city, flee to another. Um, then it says, a disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple to be like his master and, his, and the servant as his Lord. If they call the master of the house of Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them that are of his house? So it's like you're going to be called the worst of the worst. You know who the world are calling Nazis right now? Jews. Jews! Israel! Seriously? Seriously. Total, total. Uh, yeah, it's, it's brain dead stuff. Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall, be, that shall not be revealed. So go ahead and let the Wokies do their woke thing. Go, let the, go ahead and let the revisionists revise the history. Go ahead and let them lie through their teeth about everything. Because he says, fear not them therefore, for there is nothing covered. They're covering things up by all these lies. That shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. You cannot suppress or hide the truth forever. It, you, it can't. You can't do it. What I tell you in the darkness, speak ye in the light. What you hear in the ear, preach from the housetop. And this is the verse that I read. And fear not them which kill the body and are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which shall be able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. I don't care what happens in this world. I don't care what Trudeau's doing. I don't care what Biden, oh, Biden's doing, I'll say. I don't care. What the World Health Organization, Klaus Schwab, Elon Musk, the Illuminati. Well, I don't care what anybody's doing. I don't care what they pass. I don't care what they say. I don't know. I don't care what progress they're making. I don't care if the digital currency comes out. I don't care if we can't buy or sell. I don't care if the masks come back. I don't care if there's a new a virus unleashed. I don't care about none of that because none of those things are going to change who I am. None of those things are going to change how I think, how I feel, how I act, how I care myself, how I live. I'm going to do what's right and do what the Bible says, no matter what any government or person says. Because God in the Bible is my final authority. And if what they say goes against God's word, tough noogies, world. I'm going to do what God says. If that gets me killed, if that gets me fined, if that gets me imprisoned, so be it. Because I'm not going to be here long anyway. If it gets my head chopped off, it gets me tortured. So what? I'm not going to fear those who can kill the body, but the one who can kill the body and the soul in hell. I'm not going to fear what happens to me. I'm not going to stop wearing my seat. I'm not going to stop wearing my kippah. I'm not going to stop wearing my Star of David. I'm not going to hide my Jewishness. I'm not going to hide my faith in Messiah Yeshua. Not going to happen. 
And this is exactly what Daniel did. He did what he did knowing full well what the consequences were. A law was passed. You cannot pray to anybody but the king for a whole month. You can't do it. Daniel didn't say, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble. I'm definitely not going to pray to the king, but, but I, can't, I can't pray out loud. I can't pray in public anymore because I'll get seen and I'll get thrown to the lions. I can't do this. But God knows my heart. So I'm just going to hide under my bed and pray. I'm going to go to a closet and pray. Bible says pray in your closet, right? No, 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 no. Daniel didn't make any of those lame duck excuses. He didn't change one way how he lived, one way how he acted. He knew he was going to end up in the lion's den. It wasn't, well, I might get away with it. No, he knew that that's where he's going to end up. And he was willing and ready to give his life because he knew he could only pray to God. He couldn't pray to a king. So he did, as was customary, as he always did, even before the law was passed, he did this. And he did it after the law was passed. He opened his window towards the east, facing Jerusalem, and he prayed three times a day. And they said, aha, we caught you. And the king realized he was duped. He was just buttered up to pass this law. And it was the law of the Medes and the Persians, which couldn't be rescinded or redacted or anything. And he felt bad because Daniel was his friend. Daniel, God never promised him he was going to bring him through the lines. Then that was probably a shock to Daniel. He expected to die. He expected to die in a bloody, violent way by being eaten alive by lions. He expected that. And he prayed in public anyway. The three Hebrew children, they knew the consequences of not publicly bowing down to an idol. Well, I can bow down with my body, but I'm standing up proud for the Lord my heart. God knows my heart, and God will understand. Uh-uh. They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't do that. They said, no, we're not doing it. Oh, okay, I understand. You're Jews. You're stubborn. You're hard-headed. You're stiff-necked. I'm going to give you one more chance. No, not going to happen. Huh. Well, then fire it up seven times hotter. We're going to toss these boys in there. They knew the consequences of not bowing. They knew, and they did it anyway. And they, they believed they were going to get burned up. They said, our God is able. He's able to deliver us from the furnace. But if he doesn't, we're not counting on it. We're still not going to do this. But because of their bold faithfulness, God rescued Daniel and his three friends from both those situations. Now, he may choose us to be martyrs. He may not deliver us in the most miraculous way like that. But anyways, back to the shaking. I got off topic. The shaking. The shaking. This world is being shaken. The heavens are being shaken. We're being shaken. Are you going to stand? Depends on what your foundation is. Depends if you're drunk in the spirit or drunk with the fear-mongering of this world. Because if you're drunk with the fear-mongering of this world, you may be standing on a rock, but you're going to be bracing yourself for impact of the shaking, and you're going to get injured. Oh, I'm hoping I can see the next fall. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to see the fall of the chaff and of the tares and of the dirt and the stuff that's not gold. We're going to see the unrighteous fall. Looks like they're winning, and they may be making some progress, but ultimately, they're not going to win. Ultimately, they're going to fall. Looks like Israel, there's no chance of them surviving. It looks like, because the whole world's coming against them. 
The whole Arab world, the whole surrounding nations, not only that, but even some African nations are jumping in on it. Which ironically are the same nations that are mentioned in the Ezekiel 38-39 war. That's interesting. In this little podunk, tiny little state of Israel, the size of New Jersey, and they're going to take on the world? They're literally taking on the world. Did you know that Jews in Quebec are leaving and going to other provinces because their businesses and homes have been vandalized and their lives have been threatened? Just like in Germany during Kristallnacht when the Jewish establishments were vandalized and the government's not doing squat about it and they're coming to other provinces because it's safer. Some of them are even going to the war-torn Israel because they feel Israel is safer even in the middle of a war than where they're at in the world. And the Lord said he's going to bring his people back home. He's doing it right now. So this shaking is taking place, and Israel will win. There's a prophecy in Amos that Gaza is going to be destroyed, and the Philistines that are occupying Gaza are going to be destroyed. That's in Amos. We might actually see that come to pass before our very eyes. And I know that Israel's got the Iron Dome and all this kind of stuff. They are outgunned, outmanned, outnumbered. They're still going to win. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. And if you're on the side of Hamas, just because there's a majority there, you're going to lose. You're going to experience the wrath of God. And even though there are Jewish and Christians that are cowering in universities because of these protests for pro-Palestinian on campus, we're going to win. We're being shaken right now, but where's your foundation? What are you standing on? Are you drunk with the fear of the world or are you drunk in the spirit? And if you're drunk in the spirit, you're going to go with the shaking and you're going to still be standing and you're going to be all right and uninjured. But the ball's in your court. It's your decision. And all, all it takes is faith and trust in the Lord and in his word. I know, I know, easier said than done. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Amen. Well, you know, we're... Amen. And I, I mean, I know that the thought of martyrdom or persecution is scary, but in the light of eternity, even if it's a long, drawn-out, torturous death, that's a still snap of the finger in light of eternity. It's nothing compared to eternity. So go ahead and kill me. Draw it out if you have to, and if you're going to get your jollies from it, it's going to suck in the moment, but... I'm going to endure to the end, and the Lord's going to give me the strength and the grace. If you read the Fox's Book of Martyrs, there are martyrs that do things that are not humanly possible. And you can only attribute it to the grace that God sheds them while they're being martyred. Being burnt alive, one of the most painful ways to die, and yet they're praising God and singing and clapping hands and praising Him while their flesh is literally melting and falling off, and they're not feeling any pain? That's God. That's God. I'm just going to trust him. He's going to give me the grace to endure whatever I have to endure. Because he's not given me the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And he promised me in his word, those who endure to the end shall be saved. Whatever my end may be, if I just endure, I'm going to win. Let's pray. Okay, Heavenly Father, do with what you will with this message.
You've given it me, you've given it to me to dispense. I've done so. Your word has promised that it will not return void, but it will accomplish its purpose. Do that right now within the hearts and minds of those who are listening now and those who will be listening listening later online. For we ask and pray these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen.